We're talking about parenting. And if you want to follow along, if you have the Bible app, you can check out the Bible app, open that up. The notes are on that, and you can uh, follow those notes along as we do uh, the sermon today and have our time together. Didn't Pastor Jared do an incredible job last weekend? Yes, he did. <laughs> okay. I will tell him that you all said that. He did outstanding. I love Pastor Jared. Um, it is an honor to be here. I, I have been uh, here at the bridge for 23 years. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Andy Stovall, and um, I was the first staff member that full-time that the church ever hired. And uh, they fired me six times, and I just kept coming back to work, and they didn't know what to do with me, so they just let me stay on. But um, it is an honor and a privilege to be here. It is the very first time that I have been at church in Goldsboro on a Sunday morning. I've never done it before. Yeah, because I'm always in Princeton. So I'm so happy to be with you guys. You're awesome. You're a little cooler than they are. So thank you for letting me be here. Um, it really is awesome to be here today. Uh, I want to welcome, and I, I don't see her. There she is. Are you going to get it, get me if I recognize you, Miss White? I want to recognize Miss Sabrina is here today, Pastor Jeremy's wife is here with us. Thank you for being with us today. We're so thrilled that you're here. Tell Pastor Jeremy we love him and uh, praying for you guys as God has opened this new chapter in your life and is doing the work that he's doing through you. Uh, so we're going to jump right in. We have been talking about the dysfunctional family prayerfully becoming a functional family. And over the last two weeks, we've uh, talked about how to find a godly mate how God encourages us to do that, wants us to do that. And then when marriage isn't what you expected. How many of you in here today, after you got married, discovered it wasn't what you thought it would be? How many of you didn't realize that your spouse's breath smelled that bad first thing in the morning? You had no idea that a human person could have that bad a breath. In eight hours. I mean, we don't know how it happened. They didn't even eat onions that night. So, um, But we know that marriage isn't always what we expect it to be. It's glorified in Hollywood. It's made to be, oh, this wonderful thing. And my husband is always going to bring me flowers. And he's always going to do the dishes. And he's going to know every need that I have. And he's going to rub my feet and file the corns off my toes and all that stuff. And then we realize that's not going to happen. He burps and sits in the big chair and doesn't clean up after himself because he thinks his mama still lives at the house, right? His mama don't, your mama don't live at the house, guys, okay? She's somewhere else. Amen, wives? Yes. So you married somebody to look after, did you? You married somebody to be a partner in this life with you. But we find that out when we've been married. Um, and then today we're going to talk about just kind of the natural progression of things parenting. Now, you may be sitting here today and say, well, that is not applicable to me. If you are a parent, we want you to listen up. If you think one day you may be a parent, we want you to listen up. If you're a grandparent, you have no idea the incredible role that you play in the lives of the people that you touch. If you're an aunt, an uncle, if you're a friend or a mentor, I want you to listen to what we're going to talk about today because it's a big deal what we're pouring in to the lives of those that are watching us is so important. I, I told you, 
oh, I, I sat or stood in that place right there and watched Gage play the guitar and sing. And I thought about legacy. Now, I'm not his daddy, but I've known him all his life and had the privilege to watch him grow up and to pour into his life. And I was just overwhelmed by the incredible responsibility that is on each and every one of us. Somebody is watching you. Somebody is looking at your life. And somebody wants to see how you're living. And they're going to emulate what they see. They are not going to emulate what you tell them to do. They're going to follow what they see you doing. So a little bit about myself. I've told you I've been here for a long time. And uh, my wife and I have been married for uh, 23 years. Actually, I've been here 22 years. My wife and I have been married for 23 years. We have four children. Now, you may say, well, that's why they got Pastor Andy to do uh, this sermon because he's got four children. Let me tell you something. Having four children doesn't mean I'm an expert at parenting, okay? It means I'm pretty good at making them, but it doesn't mean I'm an expert at parenting, all right? What it may also mean is we didn't have cable early in our marriage, so we'll move on. Thank you all for laughing. I told them I had an opener. It was either going to go really good or really bad. Mm. So, laugh again, much better. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, we're going to jump into the Word of God today, and we're going to talk about a family. We're going to talk about Eli. Anybody remember Eli in the Bible? He was, uh, he was a, a prophet uh, or a priest, and, and he was a priest that Hannah dropped Samuel off to to mentor. And what you may not know is he had a couple of sons. All right? Eli had a couple of sons, and their names, I got to find them so I don't say them incorrectly, but the names of his boys were um, Phineas and Hophni, okay? And I probably have destroyed those, but that was their name. Not Phineas and Ferb, Phineas and Hophni, all right? If you've got little children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so he was, he was their father, and they worked as priests also with him. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, and I think we have the scripture up there, it says, Eli's sons were wicked men, and they had no regard for the Lord. Well, that's a great way to start out talking about <laughs> these two sons. But the Bible gives us a few examples of their wickedness. Now, they were priests, and one of the things that the priests did one of their jobs, and if you read this, I'm not going to read this whole passage of Scripture to you today, but if you read this passage of Scripture and see what the priest was allowed to do, part of their pay, after meat was sacrificed, they would take that meat and they would boil it, and the priest would take a fork and stick it down in the pot. And whatever came up, that was his. And he could have that and he could eat that. Well, these guys were not wanting to do that. They didn't want to stick their fork down in there and bring up whatever came up. What they wanted was they wanted the best. They wanted the meat raw with the fat still on it so the fat didn't burn off. That was the first fruit. That was the best gift. How many of you know that what God expects from us is our best? He doesn't expect us to be perfect, 
But he does expect us to bring our best to him. And what these priests were doing is they were taking the best for themselves. And that leads us to verse 17. They said, The sin, the sin of this young, these young men were very great in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. And then verse 22, Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything that his sons were doing to all Israel. Now, they were doing what the, the stuff they were doing with the sacrifices, right? Well, then read on. Look what else they were doing. They were doing this to all Israel, how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent meeting. The women who were standing out in front of church. The priests were sleeping with them. Now here is the response. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? And his sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. Well, here was the first problem. All right. All the mamas and daddies out there, you hear the report that your sons are taking meat sacrificed idols. Maybe they're not doing that. Okay. But they're doing some egregious thing. And maybe the deputy has come from the Wayne County Sheriff's Department. And he says, Ron, Josh has been riding down the road every night busting mailboxes with his baseball bat, throwing eggs at people's houses and at their cars and just making a mess of everything. Here's what I know about Ron. Ron's not going to go to him and say, No, Josh, that's a bad, bad thing. Let me tell you what he's going to do. Anybody ever seen Medea? Any of the Medea movies? <laughs> Have you ever seen any of them? That's what's going to happen. That's what happened to me. I took a pack of fruity, some kind of gum when I was five years old. It was like a juicy fruit, but it wasn't juicy fruit. It had a little, um, had a little horse on the front of it. Fruit stripe. I couldn't think of that gum to save my life, probably because it was part of the crime that I did as a child, and I wanted to forget it. So I took fruity stripe gum from the pharmacy. And Sandy Stovall got home and saw Fruity Stripe in my pocket because I was chewing it in front of her because I was a dumb criminal, okay? I didn't know to hide it from Mama. I just chewed it right out in front of her. I ain't got no money. I'm five. Sandy put me in the car. Drove me down to Livonia, Georgia, to that pharmacy. Walked me to that counter, handed them that fruity stripe and said, Now tell them what you did, boy. I'm sorry I stole your fruity stripe. You didn't mean to do it. I'll never do it again. Paid, I think it was a quarter. Yeah, that's how old I am. I paid a quarter for the fruity stripe. Got the fruity stripe. You know the middle whiny child that they were talking about? That, that, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm offended a little bit by the opener, by the way. The whiny kid. I was kind of that kid. 
Mom goes home, gives the fruity stripe to my brothers, all right, and then whoops my tail, <laughs> okay? My mama wasn't Eli. She wasn't going to take any of that, all right? And I have a feeling that a lot of you wouldn't have done the same thing. But Eli's response to that was, I don't know why you would do that. See, these were spiritual leaders who, were, who had been given authority. And not only was it immoral, but they were abusing the authority that God had given them. That they had been placed in. When God gives you authority, He expects you to wield that with care. Not to abuse the power that you have been given. So here is Eli, their father, and he's the spiritual leader. He's an appointed judge over the entire nation. And in verse 29, this is what the Lord says to Eli. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and my offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? Now, I know you're doing wrong, guys. I know you're taking advantage of these ladies that are standing at the front of the tent meeting. You're doing all these things. Um, but come on, y'all. Don't you think we're being a little hard on the boys? I mean, boys will be boys, right? And God said, no. And see, God goes on in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, and I won't read that, but he goes on and he tells Eli what's going to happen to Hophni and Phinehas. He says, they're going to die in battle on the same day. And does anybody know what happens to Eli? He dies too. He hears the news. Falls over in his chair, breaks his neck, and he's gone. That's harsh. That's harsh judgment for a father who looked at the deeds of his sons and said, No, don't do that. Now, I'm not going to get into a conversation about corporal punishment or how you need to discipline your children today, but I'm telling you, if we love our children, we will discipline them. We will tell them, you will not do that. And we're going to get into what that looks like. Eli knew about his son's sin, and he failed to restrain them. So what can we learn from that story? How does your family and my family become a home where parenting is a priority and faith is real? Let me help you this morning, hopefully. Because I want you to look through a particular set of lenses as we talk today. I want you to look to the person to your left or to your right, and I want you to say this right here. You're not perfect. Go ahead. And neither am I. That was, everybody was a little easier to do that one, wasn't it? Like, man, I'm going to get hit tonight. You ain't perfect, man. What? You were kind of jacked up. I don't know what the, you know. <laughs> You're not perfect. And neither am I. 
And I want us, as we talk about this today, I want us to look through that set of lenses. How many of you knew that before you came in here? Hopefully every hand raises, all right? We all know we're not perfect. And God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does expect obedience. So let's look at what we can learn from Eli with his sons or lack thereof of restraint when it came to Phineas and Hophni. The first thing we have to do as parents, or if we're going to become a parent, or if we're mentoring someone, is we have to begin early. You have to start early, okay? We've got to be pro proactive. We have to seek godly counsel. We're talking to everybody. I remember when our first child was born, we had a little girl, and we talked to everybody about everything. I mean, we were the stereotypical parents. With that first kid, if she dropped a passy, we were boiling it for seven minutes and then putting it back in her mouth. By the time the fourth one came along, we were like, that looks like a passy. Stick it in your mouth. You'll be fine. <laughs> They'll be okay, you know. They're resilient. They don't have to worry about them. Part of Eli's problem seemed to be that he waited too long. He was passive. He heard this news. He heard what was going on, but didn't do anything. And what he should have done was responded. Maybe he didn't respond to them as much as he should when they were children. And as adults, they made that decision. Now, let me say this. That doesn't always happen. You can do everything you can possibly do. For your child, and when they are an adult, they are an adult and they're thinking for themselves. I got three children that live at home. I got one that hasn't lived at home in three years. I thought it would be easier when the ones moved out. I worry more <laughs> with the one I can't put my hands on. The one I can't reach and, and just make everything better and... When, and I have two older daughters and two younger sons. And guys, I don't, I don't know what it is about the 20-somethings today, but y'all are dumber than I was when I was 20-something. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is. I'm going to have to stomp you, though. I don't know. But, but when you, your child, when somebody hurts your kid, I mean, you just want to blow something up, you know, with them in it. I, and so, you, it's, you know, it's... I'm just being honest. Y'all are scared of me now. But, um, but we want to protect our kids. We want to help them. But here when we start young, I want us to look at when we start young, there are four stages of a relationship that we have with our children. The first stage, and I, you know, I, I got this from somewhere. I don't know how accurate it is or not, but it, it's kind of a, a baseline for us. The first stage is, is discipline. We want to discipline our kids. We want to be consistent with that from birth to five years of age. Let me tell you something. Anybody got kids here under two? Two or under? We got a few. Yeah. All right. Do you remember taking the passy away? Some of them still got it maybe? Yeah. Let me tell you, that's awesome fun, right? Taking the passy away from your kid is great, especially when they know they're not getting it back. And then, and then they cry, and it's this blood-curdling cry. It's like somebody is chopping off my arms cry. You know, I mean, it's bad. And what do we tend to do? We want to run back and put the passy back in the mouth. 
Let me make you a promise. A guy who's been doing this for a while. I didn't learn it with the first one, but I did the second through the fourth. They got all the stuff we learned from the first one. She really had it probably easier than anybody. It won't kill them if you take that thing away and let them scream bloody murder in that crib. They will eventually fall asleep. I promise. They will. They will go to sleep. But we have to be consistent and disciplined from birth to five years of age. The second phase, I think the discipline continues on, but then you add training into that. There's training from 6 to 12 behaviors, and we, we learn alongside them, especially boys. My boys, they want to be beside me. My boys don't learn when I look at them and say, I need you to go do this. My wife, to this day, will take my face and hold it right here. Are you listening to me? Because we don't work that way. We work this way. Hey, man, what you doing? Do that over there. We can't look at each other and get things done. we got to be beside each other, parallel. Watch a guy do it, all right? We do not. We are not comfortable. Put five men around a round table and ask them to sit and talk to each other. It is the most miserable, awkward thing you've ever seen in your life. We don't know how to do that. But now we can get on the basketball court and run side by side. And, you know, as long as I'm stuffing it in your face, I'm good. But we're training side by side. And then 13 to 19, we're coaching. That's the coaching phase. And we're on the sidelines and we're helping them and, and we're encouraging them and, and we're calling time out and saying, hey, come here. Hey, try it this way. Can I tell you the coaching phase is hard? Because oh. when you're teaching them stuff that you already know how to do, how long does it take you? Way longer, all right? It ain't even twice as long. It's like 12 times as long because they're having to learn and they're messing something up and, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Oh, oil went there. I thought that was where the gas went. Um, so anyway, <laughs> it's bad, you know? It can take a long time, but it's so important that we do that. And then we get to the fourth phase, and that is a very rewarding Phase And it is one of those phases that I'm, we've really started moving into. Still, we're still disciplining and training and all the coaching and all that other stuff. But with my oldest, we're becoming more friends. And that's kind of cool. We went to see her. She lives in New York City. New York City. Um, and we went to see her last weekend and um, had a wonderful time, and she planned all this stuff out for us. Never had this before, but we had a couple's massage. It was kind of weird. <laughs> but, um, but I actually fell asleep. The lady was giving me a massage, and I just whoa, went out. But she planned all of it, took us out to all these cool restaurants and stuff, and it was just nice. And I am still her daddy. And I will always be her daddy, but I got a friend in my daughter, and that's kind of cool, you know? She doesn't think I've just absolutely lost my mind. Now, I got a 15-year-old that does, but that's another thing. So, and here's the thing we have to be careful of, and, and this is the temptation, guys. The temptation in these stages is that friendship stage down at the end, the temptation is to get that reversed. 
And we want to be their friend. And it's okay. I want my kids to like me. I want my kids to enjoy being around me. But I will tell you, and my kids can probably quote me on this, but I have looked at every one of them at some point in their life and said, there are a whole bunch of people in this world, and they're all sitting right out here that God has put in your life. They can be your friends. They can help you out. They can do, but you got one daddy. Now, I'm going to be your friend, but I'm going to be that first. And if you need a daddy, you better believe you're going to find one here. Mama says the same thing. We can't get that confused because when we get that mixed up, it can really, really be harmful to the kids. So don't wait. If you haven't walked out, started walking out those steps just yet, start now. A man said one time, when's the best time to plant a tree? Ten years ago. What's the second best time to plant a tree? Right now. Start today. You breathing? Do this. Everybody. You can start today. That's good news. One thing that we offer here at the bridge that I would encourage you, if you especially if you have small children to take advantage of, is a class we call Devoted. And Devoted is a child dedication class. It's an opportunity for you to bring your child. We, we go through this course. Um, it's babies. We have kids that are five years old, eight years old, whatever. Um, really what it is, guys, it's a parental dedication. It is you saying, I'm going to dedicate myself to God, and I'm dedicating myself to train these children up in the way that God intended me to do it. Because I don't want to make the same mistake. And listen, I blow it all the time. And it's easy to look at Eli's life and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe you did all that, you know. But if I look at honest eyes with my own and, and my own parenting and the job I've done, let's be honest. Do we really know what we're doing? <laughs> Your kids are sitting here, so say yes, okay? But the honest truth, I, I, I remember the moment they put my daughter in the back seat of the car in, at Wilson Medical Center and I sat down in the driver's seat, and the nurse looked at me and waved and walked away. And I said, she doesn't know what I don't know. Or she wouldn't do that, because I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I can't take that baby home. I need your help, ma'am. Don't leave me. We don't know. In every stage, there's stuff we don't know. We're doing the best we can do with God's help. So what we have to do is start early. And if we hadn't started early, guys... This is your invitation. Start today. Start today. And then secondly, establish a Christ-centered home. There are a whole lot of children-centered homes. There are a whole lot of houses where kids run the house. They run, and, and look now, my kids run me around. They, I, I run everywhere. I went with Pastor Jimmy to the outreach thing um, yesterday at Princeton. I don't know how many of you got to go to Princeton Community Day. Um, but I went to Princeton Community Day. I had to preach a funeral right after that at 4 o'clock. But I had promised my sons I would take them fishing. Well, 6 o'clock came when I finally got done with everything. I'm preaching on Sunday morning at the bridge in Goldsboro. I've never done that before. I want to make sure that all my I's are dotted and my T's are crossed and everything's right. And I want to 
Hey, Dad, remember you told us you'd take us fishing? Yes. <laughs> Here's who Jesus is in our life. He is a promise-keeping God. If I want my sons to look at Jesus and look to Jesus and say, all right, my daddy says he loves him. My daddy says he serves him. He wants me to love him, and he wants me to serve him, but he promises me stuff, and over and over again, he breaks his promises. How's that going to create their visual, their mentality toward who Jesus is in their life? They're going to start looking at him and saying, well, if my daddy loves him, and he trusts him, and he serves him, but every time I ask him to do something, something always gets in the way. I don't know if I want to serve this Jesus. I know that sounds extreme. But guys, we got to keep our promises. I was tired. The, it, for those of you who are from up north, you're not going to understand what I'm about to say. The words that are going to come out of my mouth are going to be foreign to you. But the Skeeters toted me off last night, okay? <laughs> they were terrible. <laughs> But I want them to look to Jesus. I want them to seek Him. I want them to trust Him. And I'm telling them I'm an ambassador for Christ. So I want to be a promise-keeping parent. The New Testament says in Matthew, and this is not on the screen, so if you want to write this down, Matthew 10, 38. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. See, God wants us to love Him first. And if we love Him first and we seek Him first and we trust Him, what does the 23rd Psalm say happens when we live in Christ and we trust Him and we make Him our shepherd? It says that He will make our cup what? Overflow. So keeping Him first doesn't keep us away from our kids. It causes that cup to overflow. And it's all good stuff that God's pouring in that's able to spill out on their life. And that's what I want for my kids. Amen? I want it to pour out on them. Thirdly, we got to heed the warning signs. We got to heed the warning signs. Do you think that Hophni and Phineas had some warning signs? You think Eli looked at their life and said, mm, there's a problem? Yeah. A warning sign is somebody coming to you saying, hey, your kid is doing such and such and so and so. That's a warning sign. We got to heed it. When I look at my children, I tell them. And don't y'all tell them. I don't know if any of them are here this morning or not. But I can look at not just my own kids. But I can look at folks and I can know you up to something. All right? And when I say you up to something, that ain't something good, okay? I know you up to something. You're hiding something. There's something you're doing. There's something you're involved in. There's something you're into. It, you, look, you, the only person you're fooling when you're up to something is yourself. Because it's all over you. It's all over your face. You can't hide it. we got to heed the warning signs, though, parents. When we see something, we got to say, no, that will not happen. That will not happen. God forbid. We might have to take away. <laughs> I didn't even have to tell you. Oh, my goodness. We're going to take away the cell phone. My, my, 
My youngest son, while we were away in New York, went swimming. He got invited to a swimming outing. I texted him about three hours after the swimming thing was supposed to be over, and I got no reply. Okay. Text again. Hey, how was swimming? Nothing. Finally, I text, hello, with a question mark. You ever done that? Nothing. Then I got a phone call from my other, from my youngest daughter, and she said, um, yeah, Hunter went swimming with the phone. If you've ever bought an iPhone, you don't want to hear that, okay? It was about five minutes into the swimming session that he realized it was in his pocket. And he was just swimming around, and man, it was great. Um, but he doesn't have a phone now. So, um, you know, but we may have to do that. I didn't, he actually took the phone away from himself. So that was, um, I don't know what I'm going to punish him with now. He's already taken it away. So, <laughs> but we got to heed the warning signs, guys. We got to see these things coming. A.W. Tozer said, no man suddenly goes base. Another word for that word base is wrong. We don't suddenly just do what Hophni and Phinehas did. It just doesn't all of a sudden happen that, oh, we're out running around and we're stealing from God and we're misusing and mistreating and abusing women. We're doing all these things that we know we're not supposed to do. That doesn't just happen overnight. I work with broken, well, it's Celebrate Recovery now. We changed the name. I'm still getting used to it. But in Celebrate Recovery, we work with folks that have a hurt, habit, or hang-up. If you've got a hurt, habit, or hang-up, you're invited every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock to Celebrate Recovery. But we have a lot of people that come to Celebrate Recovery that battle with addiction. Here's what they all say. Nobody, Pastor Andy, wakes up one day and says, Today I want to be a drug addict. Nobody wakes up one day and says, today I want to be an alcoholic. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, today I'm going to have an affair. It's a slow fade into that. It is systematically letting down your guard until one day you look around and say, how did I get here? It doesn't just happen. So we got to heed the warning signs. And I don't care how much they look at you and swear up and down. Because I've had mine do it. I, we had one one time that stole a cupcake and ate the thing. Chocolate icing. So you can imagine, you know. Hey, did you eat one of them cupcakes you weren't supposed to have? Mm-mm, I didn't have no cupcake. Are you sure? Mm-hmm, I'm sure. Come look in the mirror. Uh-oh. It may not be a cupcake. It may be something else. But if you know that you know that you know, you heed those warning signs. And do not be Eli looking at them going, No, that's bad. No, you know that's bad. I'm about to whoop your tail. That's what's about to happen up in here. We know that's bad. 
Somebody's going to call social services when this means. <laughs> Last thing we do is trust God's grace. We've got to trust the grace of God. All right? We heed the warning signs, then we trust His grace. There is only one perfect Father, and it is God's. God is a perfect Father. Proverbs 26, 6 says, Train a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old... He will not depart from it. That is a truism. Do you know what that is? That is not necessarily a promise. It is a truism. And a truism says generally that will happen when you train that child in the way they should go. But here's what happens in the life of your child. My 21-year-old, when my kids live in my house, they're at church. When I'm at church. When the doors are open, they're coming. Because I was raised that way. I was raised in a home where my daddy looked at me and said, You like eating at this table? Well, on Sunday morning, you're going to be in that church. Because that's what we do in this house. So I can do that. But when they're older, and they don't live with me, and they live in the land of fruit and nuts, <laughs> I don't know. Did I just say that? Can I say that? <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> the faith that I had and that I shared with her as she was growing up in my house now has to be translated, it transferred to her life. Now she's got to make that decision herself. And I, I've even told my children, listen, my faith is not yours. Your faith in God, your walk with Jesus is individual. And you've got to develop that and cultivate that and build that. You're not going to ride on my coattails or your mama's. You've got to develop your own. And so we've got we to gotta trust the grace of God in this. We've got to do the best we can, guys. We've got to love those kids the best we can. We got to be willing to say I'm sorry when we mess up. Amen. Anybody ever blown it? I have. I'm telling you, I grew up. I got a temper. When that boy jumped in that pool with that phone, he was not calling me. He was waiting till I got home to tell me two days later because he was just, oh, Daddy's going to be so angry. I was cool as a cucumber. I mean, I was in New York getting all kind of uh, food out to eat. My daughter was doting on us like crazy. I mean, how could I be upset about a phone, right? I didn't blow that one, but I have. I've lost it. I've hollered. I've screamed. I'm going to quote Pastor Farrell right now. Y'all look so holy right now because I know ain't none of y'all ever done that. but I'm thankful for His grace and for the ability that He gives me to be able to look at them and say, Hey, honey, I love you. I'd die for you. I just want you to make good choices and good decisions. So trust the grace of God. Do the best you can do. 
and let God handle everything else. Jesus wants to enter into your home. But more than he wants to enter into your home this afternoon, he wants to enter into your heart. Because all this stuff we talked about here today, it doesn't happen unless you invite him in. You need his grace. You need his strength. You need his wisdom to do this. Parenting is not for the weak at heart. It is not for the frail. It is the most beautiful, amazing, wonderful thing I have ever been able to do in my life. And it has been the most heartbreaking thing I've done in my life. It's hard. But with God's help and with His strength, He will give you the grace you need to do it. The greatest gift as a parent you could give your kids today is to say yes to Him. Would you bow your heads with me? God, as we think about our own personal life, and, and I know when you, when you do a, a lesson like this, it, it feels like people are reading your mail. And God, this, this sermon was for me today. What we want more than anything else, God, is to do right by the most important thing you've ever put in our life. Fifty years from now, nobody's going to care what kind of car we drove, what kind of house we lived in, how much money we made. What our kids are going to care about is what we poured into them. And if we have nothing to pour into them, God, we leave them empty-handed. So God, today, as humbly as I know how, I come to you. I ask you to help me. I'm not smart enough to do this. I'm not wise enough to do this. I don't have the capacity that my shoulders cannot bear the load. Today we ask you to help us, God. Today maybe there is someone here who has never asked you into their heart. And today, they recognize their need to surrender to you. God, I pray that they would say yes. That they would trust you, God. With their life and with their heart. And as they trust you, that they would see that also is something that will transfer, that will spill out, that will overflow into the way that they raise their children, the way they love them. God, I pray. 
pray that we will say yes to you today, God. And then for our kids, you, you kids that are here, I'm, I'm, a, I'm somebody's child. We've been given one commandment, and that is to obey our parents. Kids, if you're here today and you're, you know you're living in disobedience to your parents, stop it right now. And that's not me saying that. That's God. He said, obey your parents. Stop doing that. Here's a warning. You can slip into a very dark place quicker than you realize. And the prayer of your mom and dad is that you don't go so far you can't come back from. God's giving you an opportunity right now to put the brakes on, to stop, to say, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of living in rebellion. I'm tired of constant angst with my parents, and there's always a fight about something, and I'm, I'm sick of it. But you have to respond. And you have to say, God, I'm going to say yes to you. And part of me saying yes to you is I'm going to obey my mom and dad, as long as they're not asking me to do something that's against your will or your word, God, I'm going to obey them. Help us, Lord, I pray, to be functional families that honor you and are a beacon to the world. A lighthouse, a city on a hill that cries out and says, Come, all that are weak and heavy laden, because Jesus dwells here with every head bowed and every eye closed if you said yes to Jesus today would you right where you are just slip your hand up and put it right back down if you said yes I'm going to follow Jesus amen I see those hands I see those hands I see those hands thank you God can we give Jesus glory today for what he has done in this place I apologize, I am not normally this emotional, but I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if you know it, but there's a lot of prayer that happens in this room before you get here on Sunday morning. Before you even got in the parking lot, people were praying for you. And our prayer was that we would encounter God, and I believe that that happened here today.